Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 19 as we continue our series in the certainty of the Savior. And this morning we'll be looking at verses 28 through 40. As you're turning there, let me say uh, that I'm looking forward to our start as we gather together June the 14th on that Sunday morning. Uh, You'll hear more about that in the days ahead via videos and what to expect Because of our social distancing, we will have to limit our seating to 150, and so we're asking that you would register if you're planning on attending that worship service on Sunday morning, June the 14th, to register through the website or call the church office, and we'll be glad to take your name and save a space for you. And should we exceed that 150, we'll possibly have plans for a second service. But that service will be live streamed. And it will also be recorded as well for those who are unable to attend that Sunday morning. And again, you'll be hearing much more about that in the couple of weeks ahead. Luke chapter 19, beginning now in verse 28, the triumphal entry. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And when he drew near Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village and front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the donkey, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Here ends the reading of the word of God. Let's again look to him as we pray. Father, we ask now again that through the ministry of your Holy Spirit, your word would burn deep in our hearts, strengthening us by your grace and causing our love for you to mature and abound and deepen, and our love for one another to be strengthened as well. Bless us now, we pray, Lord Jesus. Speak, grant us ears to hear, and hearts to readily respond. We ask in your holy name. Amen. Many people have a fascination with pageantry and royalty. On July 29, 1981, the royal wedding of Prince Charles and Lady Diana captured the attention of the world. The fairy tale wedding took place at St. Paul's Cathedral in London. Prince Charles was the heir of the throne, and so there were parties and events and street parties held throughout Great Britain to mark the occasion. An estimated two million spectators lined the route of Lady Diana's trek from Clarence House to St. Paul's, 
with 4,000 police officers, 2,200 military officers to control the crowd. The wedding itself was spectacular. Who can forget the entrance of Lady Diana with the 25-foot train? The music of pomp and circumstance with that great pipe organ. The wedding was watched by an estimated 750 million people around the world on television. It was billed as the wedding of the century. You know, one of the reasons I believe we are enamored with pageantry and royalty and pomp and circumstance is because we were created to worship the king. There is within each of us a divine calling placed upon our lives by God himself to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we see this in this passage here. It's one of the reasons we're drawn to pomp and circumstance. The people of Jesus' day were as well. As people joined in the royal procession with praises and shouts and joy. I think there are several things we can learn from this scene of royal pageantry and the pomp and circumstance. And the first is this. The believer is called to acknowledge and to accept the ownership of Christ the King. After teaching the parables of the ten minas, Jesus drew near Bethphage and Bethany near the Mount of Olives, just a couple of miles outside of the holy city. In preparation for his entrance into Jerusalem, Jesus sent two of his disciples to go before him and get a colt that had never been ridden upon. Matthew gives us a little bit more detail than Luke does. You will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. Now here's where the request gets a bit interesting. Jesus tells them that if anybody asks, just simply say, the Lord has need of it. But there may be more to the story than we see. Can you imagine one morning if you wake into the sound of your car engine running in the garage and you, you go out and one of our elders or deacons is sitting in it. They've hotwired it. They've barred your key. They're about to drive off. And you say, what are you doing? And they say, oh, the Lord has need of it. And you say, oh, okay, great. Have a nice day. Things don't usually work that way, and I'm not sure that's the way it happened here. It's very possible that Jesus had had a previous encounter with the owner of the donkey and prearranged the pickup. We're not sure. But what is it that we learn from this pickup of the donkey and from this donkey deal, if you will? It's this. The Lord has absolute ownership over all of his creation. And the owner readily complied. What do we learn first? The Lord is in charge. What, what do we learn from all this setting? He's in charge of each and every step along the way as he's heading in to Jerusalem. Down to the donkey. Down to the arrangement. Down to picking up this donkey. Every hint of Jesus going to Jerusalem to be crucified. Every prophecy of it is now being made known clear. Every step along the way, every event has been sovereignly orchestrated by Christ. Everything is running perfectly according to his providential plan, according to prophecy, and according to his purpose. Jesus was going to Jerusalem, not for a coronation, not to conquer the enemies, but for a cross. Not for a celebration, but to suffer. 
And he was sovereign over every step along the way, down to the detail of this donkey. You know, that's got to be great comfort for us as believers in Christ, knowing that our God is sovereign, that he providentially plans our steps. The psalmist reminds us that every one of our days came into being before one of them was in being itself. God has planned and orchestrated, and so we can with confidence quote Romans chapter 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. This is not simply a Sunday school saying. This is reality for the believer in and lover of Christ. He is sovereign over every step of your life, every detail, even in the midst of COVID-19. We see from all that's taking place that the Lord is in charge. But second, the Lord is the rightful owner of all things. He has a claim on everything, even this donkey deal. If it wasn't prearranged, it's still his. The psalmist reminds us in Psalm 24, it is a psalm of the royal entrance of the king. Here's the declaration of the king. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof and all who dwell in it. It is an announcement that our God is king and everything is his by divine right. And so having his disciples secure this donkey, Jesus is simply demonstrating that everything is his by divine right. After all, Paul reminds us in Colossians that all things were created by him and for him. If that's the case, then hearing the Lord has need of it should be enough for us. I wonder if this describes our attitude towards Christ and his lordship in our lives. Do we recognize that because Jesus went on to enter Jerusalem and there gave his life as a sacrifice for sins, that we ourselves have been purchased by his blood? Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul as he writes to the church in Corinth. Or you, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. By virtue of creation and redemption, all we are and all we have belong to our faithful Savior. I remember like it was yesterday, 6th or 7th grade Sunday school class, when our Sunday school teacher, Lanny Moore, a successful Greenville businessman, said to us, you know, when I realized that everything that I am and everything that I have belongs to the Lord, it completely changed my life. That's true. Because we've been purchased by the blood of Christ. We are now the purchase of Christ's blood. All we have and all we are belong to him. To, to be a disciple of Jesus is to recognize his rightful ownership of everything and therefore our willingness to offer to him without hesitation, without equivocation, the entirety of our lives, our, our time, our money, our hobbies, our vocation, whatever it might be. Lord, I offer myself to you and all that's mine for your glory and your honor and your praise. 
And so we should look at the things of our lives and ask the question simply, Lord, do you have need of these things? Have you entrusted me with these things for the furtherance of my own comfort and kingdom or for the advancement of your kingdom and of the gospel of Jesus throughout the world? We must accept the ownership of the king, the sovereignty of the king in our lives. But second, the believer is called to trust in the humble sacrifice of the king. As Jesus entered Jerusalem, he, he chose a young donkey upon which to make his grand entrance. Now, kings had ridden donkeys in the past in Israel's history. That's not all that unusual. But there was an expectation of the Messiah, of the warrior king, of the conquering king, that one day he would come into Jerusalem in all power and glory and splendor. Surely he would ride a stately stallion or a horse of war. But Jesus didn't do so. Instead, he chose a beast of burden. Why? Because his first entrance into Jerusalem was not as a conquering king, but as a humble prince of peace. He chose a donkey because hundreds of years earlier, it had been prophesied through Zechariah, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you and having salvation. He's humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, and the foal of a donkey. And even long before that, the people of God had been promised in Genesis chapter 49 that their king would come on a donkey's colt. As Jesus entered Jerusalem, he did not come as a conquering king upon his first entrance, but rather he came as a suffering servant. He came riding to Jerusalem on a donkey to the shouts and praises of the people. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. You may recognize that first line of their shouts. It comes from Psalm 118. As the people cried out at the triumphal entry, we often read Psalm 118 on Palm Sunday. Listen again to verses 25 through 27 of Psalm 118. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. And now here's the cry of the people. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God. He's made his light to shine upon us. Join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. I love that phrase. The NIV translates it with bows in hand. There's the palm branches, the waving of the palm branches and laying them down on the road with bows in hand. Join the festal procession. There's the prophecy of the triumphal entry. But did you notice where the triumphal entry is heading? Up to the horns of the altar. To the place where sacrifice was made, where blood was shed, where atonement was accomplished. Amidst the shouts and the praises of the people, Jesus knew full well where that procession was leading him. He knew where this red carpet treatment was heading 
to the red train of his own blood flowing down from the cross. And yet knowing this, Jesus nevertheless set his face like a flint to come to Jerusalem to suffer and to die. He came riding in on a donkey amidst the shouts of the short-lived praise. Why? The writer of the Hebrews tells us, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. What joy? What joy could there have possibly been in being beaten and mocked and ridiculed and nailed to the cross? What joy could there possibly been? It is this, the joy of knowing that as Jesus entered Jerusalem riding on a donkey headed to the cross, he was fulfilling the purpose for which the Father had sent him, the very reason for which he was willing to come as the Son, for the joy that through his sacrifice and death he was securing many sons and daughters by his grace and for his Father's glory, the joy of knowing that he was providing the only way of peace with God. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It was for this joy, for the securing of your salvation, for making peace with God, that Jesus endured the cross, despising its shame. Let me ask you this morning, have you looked to Christ alone? for the salvation from sin and death and hell? Have you trusted him for the forgiveness of your sins? Have you looked at him alone? Who alone can provide for you real peace with God? Jesus came first, not as a conquering king, but as a suffering servant, as the prince of peace, securing peace with God. Can you say today, beyond all shadow of a doubt, that you have peace with God? If you are trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ upon the cross, that peace has been secured for you. I hear the words of love. I gaze upon the blood. I see the mighty sacrifice. And I have peace with God. The believers called to trust, to rest, and to keep on trusting in the finished work of Christ and the humble sacrifice of the King. And finally, the believers called to acknowledge the incomparable worthiness of the King. Just look at some of the expressions of worship in this portion of Scripture. Sinclair Ferguson said his majesty and authority began to shine through from the moment of his entry into Jerusalem. But I believe it began to shine through even before that. Let's begin outside of Jerusalem prior to the triumphal entry. Let's not forget the willing worship of the owner of the animal who readily acknowledged Jesus' rightful ownership of his animal and his life. Notice the donkey. Jesus said, go secure the donkey, a one on which one has never yet sat. Possibly alluding to the fact that this donkey was set apart for a mission of which only Jesus was 
worthy. And they brought the donkey to Jesus and the disciples joined in worship by throwing their cloaks on the back of that donkey, making a a royal saddle for Jesus. And then they hoisted him up as a championship team would hoist up their coach in honor. And they sat him on the donkey. And still outside the city as Jesus was making his way down the Mount of Olives, it was not an insignificant backdrop of redemptive history. King David had fled down this path seeking to save his life. Ironically, David's son would come down that same path willing to give his life as a ransom for many. Ezekiel had beheld the glory of God on the Mount of Olives and Moses and Elijah joined Jesus of the Transfiguration in that very place. So as Jesus is riding along this magnificent way, the disciples and the swelling crowd began to cheer and to sing. They threw their cloaks now on the ground. They cut palm branches, the other disciples, the other gospels tell us, and they waved them and they threw those on the ground as well, making a royal pathway for their king. This was a first century version of rolling out the red carpet. As they approached the city, the expectations were running high and the multitudes began to swell and rejoicing and singing with loud shouting, Hosanna to the King! Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And all of this, all of this scene, we're recognizing the worthiness of Christ the King, that He And he alone is worthy of our adoration and praise and song and worship. The king had come and he was in their midst and they joined their voices to this majestic king. And indeed, when we have beheld him, that will be the response of the believer in Christ as well. We who have seen the king and know him as the king of grace in our hearts and lives, we too will respond in worship and adoration and praise, recognizing the incomparable worthiness of Christ. There was worship that day, but not everyone did so that day. Matthew tells us that as they entered into Jerusalem, the city was stirred up. And among some of those who were stirred up were the Pharisees who'd been plotting to kill Jesus. And on seeing the royal procession and hearing the accolades and the praise, they said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus said, I tell you, if these were silent, even the stones would cry out. You see, whether or not the world responds, the king will have his worship. And on that day, almost 2,000 years ago, Jesus came humbly riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. But one day, he will return. And upon that return, it will not be a donkey. It will then be a stately stallion of war. The Apostle John writes of that final triumphal entry, a passage Matthew mentioned last week in his sermon. From Revelation chapter 19, listen again to these words of the return of the king. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, not a donkey, a white horse, and the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war, not peace. 
His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. And he's clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And on the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus' first entry into Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday was upon a humble donkey, but the King of Glory will return on a war horse with vengeance and judgment and a sword. Let me ask you, where are you this morning? Jesus did not come simply to give us a, a hollier, a jollier and happy life. Jesus came to save us from our sins and from judgment that my sins deserve. Where are you this morning? Have you bowed before the King in humble submission? Have you fled to him in faith of the salvation from sin and death and hell? Have your heart and your affections been subdued by the beauty and the glory of the King? If you have not yet trusted Christ, you and I need to understand something. The blood spattered upon the garment of the returning king is not his own blood. It will be yours in judgment. I plead with you. I plead with you if you have not bowed the knee before Christ the king to do so. Paul reminds us on several occasions, now is the day of salvation. Now is the day of grace. Look to him, trust in him, and rely upon him. And for those who have, realize that from which Christ has saved us and spared us. And lift up your heads and lift up your hearts and worship and adoration and praise to the King of glory and King of grace who willingly got on that donkey, rode into Jerusalem, and was impaled upon that cross for our sins. Rejoice that your blood on the day of judgment will not be spilt because on the day of the cross, Jesus' blood was spilt for us and we can rejoice and worship in him. I mentioned before that I received two passes to sit on the field during our last national championship celebration. But before the team and the coaching staff ever came into Death Valley, thousands of people from around our state and beyond descended upon little old Clemson and lined the streets for a parade that would take everyone into that stadium. Now, why do we do this? Why did I dress in purple and orange with tiger paws all over me and sit in the cold for hours for a game that had already been played days before? Why do we do things like this? We are enamored with parades and pageantry, with pomp and circumstance, with royalty, because, again, we are wired for worship. 
In his book, Seeing and Savoring Jesus, John Piper writes, The healing of the soul begins by restoring the glory of God and its flaming, all-attracting place at the center. We're all starved for the glory of God, not self. No one goes to the Grand Canyon to to increase self-esteem. Why do we go? Because there is a greater healing for the soul in beholding splendor than there is in beholding self. Seeing and savoring Jesus Christ is the most important seeing and savoring you will ever do. Eternity hangs on it. My friends, Jesus Christ is no mere imaginary monarch. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords who alone is worthy of our greatest affections, our highest adoration, exultant praise, and profound trust. And when we have beheld him through the eyes of faith as the King of glory and King of grace, when we join in that festal procession of worship and when we are awestruck with the reality that that triumphal entry led him to the cross upon which he died, when we survey and savor that wondrous cross, then our worshipful response will be as well. We're the whole realm of nature mind. That were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, and my all. May God by His Spirit grant us grace to worship Christ the King, to see and savor and survey the wondrous cross upon which He died. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus Christ, we honor you and acknowledge you as the King of kings and Lord of lords. And so we honor you and acknowledge you as the one who has rightful ownership of all that we are and all that we have. And Lord Jesus, our King of glory and King of grace, we trust you for your humble sacrifice upon the cross through which you have saved us from sin and judgment and death and hell. And Lord Jesus, we acknowledge you as the King who alone is worthy of all glory, laud, and honor. And so now as we reflect upon the cross the cross to which that festal procession led you. We ask that as we savor it, as we see it, as we survey it, that we would offer to you the entirety of our beings as our King and Lord. For your glory, for your grace, our good, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.